0: 212 degrees is that point of transformation where something takes place with water and it's turned into steam and when it's turned into steam those of you who like to cook you know that the lid will begin to bounce around on the pot it doesn't matter how big that lid is my mother used to have a pressure cooker how many of you know what that is a pressure cooker and had this little weight on it and She was always concerned about it getting too hot and because she told us horror stories about pressure cookers that actually blew up and put food all over the place. That never happened as far as I'm aware of, but I Googled that just to see, and there's some pretty disastrous stories what can happen with a pressure cooker. But how many of you know what it takes to turn water into steam? It takes heat, right? It takes fire. It takes power to make that happen. And, you know, I, when I announced my title this week, Pastor Mark sent me, and, you know, he just is so intelligent. He has so many f- useless facts in his head. I told him I was going to be preaching on 212 degrees, and that's the point of boiling. And he sent me a message back, and he said, well, that's the point of boiling at sea level. But it gradually, you know, it changes as you get higher in altitude. Don't you just hate a know it all? Don't you just sometimes want to smack them, you know? And anyway, he he sent me that message, but I think you all know what I mean here. 212 degrees, that point where we began to boil. You know, and you sense the boiling heart of God. You sense the love of God when you think about how much he loved this world. We sang that song with Dan and the team this morning, For God So Loved the World. A.W. Tozier, as only Tozier could write, in the, his book of God and men, he said that God is delighted with all that is good and lovingly concerned with all that is wrong in our world. And I think that's such a powerful descriptor of the heart of our Heavenly Father. God is lovingly concerned about all that's wrong in our world, whether it's violence, whether it's illness, whether it's you know environmental damage. But most of all, he's lovingly concerned about what happens in our lives And so he sent his son Jesus because he loved the world to die for our sins. And so I want to direct your attention this morning to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. And I want to read to you from Romans 12, verse 11. Romans 12 is one of my favorite, favorite passages of the Bible. I quote from it often, but I look back through the years, and I've never just preached a message from these two verses And I want to talk to you from these two verses in the book of Romans. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. What does that say? Be enthusiastic. Say that with me. Be enthusiastic. I didn't hear a lot of enthusiasm there. Let's try it again. Be enthusiastic. I've been with some of you to football games. I have stood beside you. I'm concerned about my dignity. I'm concerned about, you know, proper behavior, and some of you are absolutely bananas at a football game. I have stood with some of you that are watching probably online this morning at a football game, and you've jumped, and you've hollered, and you've screamed. One of you in particular that you told me you were going to be watching, I even watched you throw your hat down. You paid a lot of money for that hat, and you threw it down in the Michigan stadium. And I remember thinking, boy, people can get worked up over a football game. And yet when we come to church, sometimes some of us look like we're as dead as last year's corn shucks, you know? Just no enthusiasm. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord and keep your passion towards Him, say it with me, boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let Him fill you with excitement as you serve Him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Kind of like a A fragrance. It's kind of like a scent. That this hope within you, that it will continue to release a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble. Don't give up in a time of pandemic. Don't give up in a time of illness. Don't give up whatever the cost. Don't give up, but commune with God at all times. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the next few minutes that you would just speak to our hearts and that, God, you would do a transforming work in our hearts that our hearts will be at that wonderful place of 212 degrees where we are transformed. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You know, when I read these two passages of Scripture, these two verses of Scripture, I look at them, and I've written beside, in my Bible, I've written, what a positive faith-filled statement. What a positive faithful statement, to be enthusiastic. Keep your passion boiling hot. Let there be this radiance that comes from your life with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This radiance that continually releases joy into your life so that when you walk into a restaurant or when you go to your job, that people are always asking you, what's this joy? What's this glory? What's this love in your life? Some of you have told me that people have come up to you before and they is What's different about you? And I think it's that you radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have told me that you've been on vacation and maybe you've been in a restaurant and somebody has just stopped by your table and said, you know, there's something different about the two of you and you've had the opportunity to share with them the love of God and what God is doing in your life. The word there for fervency and enthusiasm, it's zeontes, it's a Greek word that means to literally boil in our spirits, to be eager, to be passionate, to show enthusiasm. And What I love about these two verses of scripture is it combines the practical with the, the feelings that we want in life. In other words, it combines fervency and it combines passion. Fervent is when I'm doing the things that God has called me to do, but I have a passion for what God has called me to do. You know, fervency is that where I'm busy. It's that of the businessman that's concerned that he's he's got the bottom line right, that the customers are satisfied, that the product is good. That's fervency. He's doing all the right things, or she's doing all the right things to have a successful business, but maybe he doesn't really love the business. Maybe he's not really passionate about it and he longs for the day that somebody will buy the company from him and he makes a profit or he longs for the day that he can retire and move to Florida or Arizona, somewhere where it's not going to be cold and snowy and gray in the winter time. You know, there's where the passion is. But occasionally you meet those people, they're doing what they love to do. They're passionate about, they're fervent, but they're passionate about what they're doing. It's what we call feeling and doing. It's when you have the feelings inside, but you also are doing the right things. It's, there's a sense here as Paul writes these two verses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the spirit as well as the body is being impacted. That's what's happening here. It's not that you're just doing the right thing, but you love to serve God. You, You love God so much that you absolutely glow with the radiance of the Holy Spirit. You love God so much, and you love what God has created you to do, that there's this continual release of joy in your life. If you walk into our home, Becky has this, little mechanism downstairs and it releases fragrance into our home and when she changes the fragrance i'm always aware of it most of the time she might have cinnamon as it just releases a, a light cinnamon fragrance into our home and when you open the front door and you're greeted with that it just feels like home sometimes she'll change it and maybe it's a lemon that she has going in that thing but there's this little source of heat in the bottom of it That causes the essential oils to release their fragrance. You know, passion is what we're talking about here. It's passion to do the right thing that releases the joy. When you read these two verses, it's the same sort of passionate love that you read about in the poet. In other words, what Paul is saying here is love God, do the right thing, but have the heart of a lover, have the heart of a poet. In other words, Jesus, there was a church that Jesus wrote to. They did all the right things. They tithe. they discipled, they met for worship, they met for intercessory prayer, they had ministry to the various age groups within the church. They were doing the right things in their community serving people, but they had lost their passion. They were going through the mechanics of being a church, doing the right things, But they had lost their first love, and that first love was a love for God, and it was a love for people, because you can't love God unless you can love people beside you. You can't really say that you love God, the Bible says, unless you love people, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and lost people. Jonathan Edwards said when he was a young man, he wrote 70 resolutions, but one of his resolutions said, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, resolve to live with all my might while I live. What was he saying? He was saying, I want to do the right things, but I want to do it at 212 degrees. I want to do the right things, but I want to do it with passion. I want to do it with fervency. I want to do it out of a love for God and a love for people. You know, there are a lot of times that a preacher might preach because it's the hour for preaching. But what you really want is the message and the heart for God's people for that hour. And that's what I feel that this hour is, is a message to say to our congregation and to those that are listening, that this is an hour for fervency and it's an hour for passion. It's an hour for gaining the heart of God once again, because Jesus had some terrible words to speak to a group of people that he was talking to. He said, I would that you either hot or cold but because you're tepid you're lukewarm you're doing all the right things but you're lukewarm about it I'm going to spit you out of my mouth it's not a matter of being a member of a church or the member of a right prayer group or the right denomination what it's a matter of is are we fervent in our hearts and spirits for God You see, the great commandment in Luke chapter 10 is that we would love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and our strength, and we would love one another. But Jeremiah the prophet also prophesied about this, for he told us in Jeremiah 29 to seek God with all of our hearts. This is the key to fervency, is seeking God. And when you seek God in the very next verse, he says, when you seek me with all of your heart, then you will find me. Every once in a while, somebody will come to me and say, well, I feel so far away from God. I feel so distant from God. It's been so long since I felt, and they'll sometimes use this word, I felt the fire of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And my question to them is, are you seeking God? Because God's promise is, if you seek me, if you love me, if you will search me with all of your heart, and if you love others, then you will find me. And I think what is the biggest drawback for people from time to time to serving God passionately is fear. The fear that we have that somehow or another we're going to miss out on what it means to serve God with all of our hearts. Back in the day when I did all of the shape interviews for our congregation, we tried to help people discover their ministry. The number one fear that people would tell me when we did not have the ministry they were looking for in our congregation at that time, they would say, oh, but I'm afraid to start that. What if I fail? What if if nobody else wants to participate? And we would have to help people see that there is no failure in trying. There's no failure in launching out. There was a survey done of what people feared most about life. And the number one fear, as you would guess, was the fear of dying. But one out of five people, listen, one out of five people said that living a life without purpose or meaning was their greatest fear. Let me read you some of the responses. My biggest fear is never taking a risk in an effort to find my true calling. That was from a young man named Anthony. My greatest fear is to go through life living small but not realizing it was too late. That was from a woman named Rebecca in Germany. My greatest fear would be missing out on my purpose here on earth. I know that I have a purpose that I am not yet serving. That was from a young woman in California named Danielle. And this is from a woman in Portugal. She says, to go through life without leaving a positive mark. And here is a man from Canada. My greatest fear is regretting that I didn't do as I lay in my hospital bed as an elderly man. In other words, I like what he said. I like what Ralph said. He said, when I lay in my bed and I'm an elderly man and I know that I'm about to breathe my last, my greatest fear is that I did not live for what God had called me, for what God had created me to do. Fear so often stops people from stepping out. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, and I want you to, 18, would you follow along with me here? Such love, the love of God, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Circle that in your outline this morning, expels. If we are afraid, if we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows we've not fully experienced His perfect love. For we love each other because he loved us first. And I think what we have to see in this passage of scripture right here is what one of my favorite theologians, Dr. Michael Van Doren, told me in a conversation one time. He says, if you could realize, and if I could realize, and if the church could realize that perfect love dwells in our hearts, For when we are born again, when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, Jesus comes to live inside of us, and Jesus is perfect love, and Jesus will cast out, Jesus will expel, Jesus will drive out all fear, if only we will let him. And friends, There is no need to live a life in fear. There's no need to live a life in bondage. There's no need to live a life of being afraid of missing out on your purpose. I can remember before Becky and I left what we were doing before we moved to Michigan. I went through some personality tests, went through a lot of testing, went to Atlanta and went to different places because I wanted to be sure that What was in my heart I wasn't going to miss doing, and I tell people all the time, you know, this was one of the greatest experiences I went through, being asked the tough questions, being drilled on the tough questions, being analyzed, and then coming home, and then going back to Atlanta in a couple of weeks to meet with those who who did the research on me and upon my questions, and then to hear them say you know, follow your heart, follow your dream. It may fail. You may, not, you may not accomplish what you hope you're going to accomplish, but follow your heart and follow your dream. And I'm going to tell you, friends, <clears throat> did I feel fear? Was there anxiety? Oh, yes, but I can remember going for runs. I can remember going to prayer and kneeling. And as I worshiped the Lord, as Haley sang this morning, as I lifted my hands in praise and thanksgiving to him, the perfect love of God would drive out the fear of failure and help me see the purpose for which God had called us to do. Why? Because God's love will conquer all of my fears. God's love will conquer your fears this morning. Because of my disabilities when I was born, my parents decided they wouldn't have any more children. And I remember one day my mother's doctor was talking to her and says, When are you and Buford going to have another baby? And she said, Well, we're not. We've decided we shouldn't have any more children because of Dennis's birth defects. And so the doctor wanted to see my dad and my mom together, and he called them in and says, do not let fear keep you from building the family that you want to build. Do not let fear stop you from raising the children you want to raise. Don't let fear stand in the way of your dreams. And as that old doctor just pastored my mom and dad through that very scary time, I have been so grateful over and over when I see Kim's number show up on my caller ID or I see Teresa's number show up on my caller ID or one of my nieces or nephews calls me because my parents did not let fear stand in their way. It's the love of God that persuaded a doctor, do not let fear freeze you in place. Perfect love expels and drives out all fear. Sometimes Some of you listening today, you may be thinking right now, you say, but you just don't know what I've done, Pastor. You just don't know how I've sinned. There was a young man that Jesus told a story about, and I'm so grateful that he told this story. Now, think about this. If Jesus hadn't told this story, we might have reason to fear. We could maybe read the facts, but this story really removes all of our fear about failing God. This young man said to his father, basically he said, I wish you were dead. Just give me my inheritance and let me go live my life. And he wasted his inheritance and he ended up totally defeated. He ended up doing the very thing that he hoped he would never have to do. And he was at the bottom when he was at the pit. He thought to himself, I'll go home and maybe I can be humble enough. Maybe I can just repent enough and my dad will take me back on as a slave. The son represents you and me. And the father in the story Jesus is telling represents God. The Bible says that when this young man was still a long ways off, that the father was looking down the road for him. The father was watching for him. How many people have given up not understanding how great the love of God is? How many people have given up on their purpose when they failed? How many people have given up on coming back to faith in God maybe when they backslidden because they had a view of God or an image of God that was so imperfect that somehow or another God's love wasn't a boiling hot love for them? I want you to know something. What we sang this morning was the heart of Jesus. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. And when the father saw him, look with me at Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him, gave him the ring, which was the credit card, and gave him the robe, which was a sign of being the son again. God doesn't want you living in a place of subjection. God doesn't want you living in a place of shame and humility. You were born to be a child of God. God showed us how much. Look at 1 John verse 4, I mean chapter 4 and verse 9. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, let me go back to my story of the prodigal or Jesus' story of the prodigal. Nowhere in the story does it say the son loved the father. Nowhere in the story does it say the prodigal was filled with love for the father. I know my sons love me, but they tease me a lot. They'll say to me, Dad, when you die, how much is left in the will for me? Dad, when you die, how much am I going to get? And and I'll tell them, it all goes to your mama. And sometimes they'll say, no, Dad, you included me. And I'll say, every time you ask me that question, I'm just going to add a little bit more in the wheel to the church. Every time you ask me that question, then they get quiet as a church mouse. I know my boys love me, but they love to tease me about things like that. And that's okay. I can handle it. My boys tell me they love me constantly, but in this story, there's no indication that the son returned home because of love for the father. And you may not feel any love for God. You may be so cold. Your, Your heart may be ice cold this morning. You may be watching this and maybe even thinking to yourself right now, but I have no passion for God. I have no love for God. But you know that something's just not right in your life. But what happens is, is that the Father saw the Son repentant and coming back. Repentance is not a matter of feeling. Repentance is not a matter of passion. Repentance is recognizing that your life is not what it can be. Your life is not what it should be. You're not living for the purpose and for the reason. You're living in your fear rather than living in your hope and your promise. And if you come to Jesus this morning, if by faith you look, to Jesus Christ. The Father in heaven is looking down the road for you. And he loves you and he welcomes you with compassion. He welcomes you with an embrace and a kiss. He welcomes you and gives you all the riches of the kingdom of heaven. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? God's love conquers my fear. And what happens then is that God's love becomes a fire in my heart. God's love becomes a fire in my heart. I googled this week different poetry sites, love and fire. It was kind of fascinating to read some of the poems that I read that contained the words love and fire, love and boiling hot. And sometimes I found myself reading that and said, oh, why can't I write like that? Why can't I wish like that? But one of my favorite poems that I came across was by the poet Edmund Spencer. And he was talking about how that the woman he loved, her heart was ice cold towards him. And why was it that her heart is cold as it was? And the icier it got, his love for her grew hotter and hotter and more fervent. Because I read that poem over and over again. Somehow or another, Spencer helped me get an idea of what the love of God is like. No matter how cold, no matter how harsh, no matter how freezing cold the world's heart may be towards God, the love of God is boiling over for this lost world. That explains the cross. That explains Calvary. That explains why today, 2,000 years later, people are still crossing the line and they're giving their hearts to Jesus Christ. It's because eventually the fire of God will melt the coldest hearts. And if the climate is getting warmer and the Arctic is melting and the Antarctic is melting, if we see that in the natural, then how much more can we see it in the spiritual? Because of our commitment to be live streaming during this pandemic One of my neighbors recently came to the Lord, committed his heart to Jesus. We wept together in my front lawn, and today he's in heaven because we had no idea that just a few days after giving his heart to Jesus, he would move into eternity. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, the fire of God still melts the coldest of hearts. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Let's look again at Romans 12. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion towards him boiling hot. Radiate with glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. And let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. So the question, the question then that I wrote in my Bible is, how do I keep my love for God boiling hot? How do I keep it boiling hot? I'm not a camper, but I've been outside when at our campsites. Remember when one of our pastors decided to cook a peach cobbler? And, you know, he overcooked his peach cobbler because he kept the fire too hot. Do you remember that? Worst peach cobbler we ever had in our lives, wasn't it? <laughs> but, you know, you keep a fire going by keep adding heat to it. You keep a fire going by continually adding fuel to it. And so how do we add fuel to the, what can we do to keep our hearts passionate towards God? Well, I think, first of all, if you read Romans chapter 12 carefully, that we serve God and not our personal interest. We serve God and not our personal interest. I like the way the NIV and the King James Version actually translate. It calls it appetites. You know, my appetite for food or my appetite for sex or my appetite for entertainment. Whatever your personal interests are, the Bible tells us that we're to serve Jesus and not our appetites. And the world is serving its appetites today. It's why so much of the world is driven by fleshly desires Uh, Not necessarily that the flesh is wrong, but what people want their personal interests rather than being driven by what really matters in life. As a matter of fact, Paul makes the appeal one time. He says that people who come to you with smooth talk, that what they're doing is they're trying to deceive you to serve their own personal interests. And isn't it interesting to listen to how smooth the advertisements can be sometimes? Isn't it interesting to listen to how smooth that some of the ads can be when you're on a diet and all of a sudden the best chocolate cake in the world is there? And as they pull the cake up, even the frosting curls, what are they doing? They're appealing to your personal appetite your personal interest. Or maybe if you invest in gold because the economy is going south and maybe because you're afraid and you hold gold and they tell you, you can feel it, you can hold it, you can put it in your safe. Some are even saying, we'll send you a person. What are they doing? They're serving your personal interest of security. Friends, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness Christ is our security, so we serve Him, and we serve Him by serving people. If you want to know how to serve god it 's you serving by loving other people, you serving by your commitment to love people, to forgive people, to lead people to Christ, to heal people, to feed people. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter five and verse thirteen, not to use our freedom in Christ to satisfy our sinful nature or our personal interests but to use our freedom to serve one another in love. And we serve Jesus, not the law. I wear a mask this morning, not because the governor has said to wear a mask. I serve wear a mask while I'm singing because I wanna protect you from me in case I have the COVID crisis. And the last test we had, I'm COVID free. But my point is we wear a mask not because of the law, I wear a mask because I want to protect people. Recently somebody came out to me and they shook their mask at me and said, I believe in Psalms ninety-one and I don't need this mask. And I just looked at him and said, look, I believe in Psalms ninety-one too. I believe in it with all my heart that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I believe that God will protect me. But God gave you a brain and God gave me a brain. And that brain is to use the best wisdom that we have. And we want to protect other people in case we have picked up something we're not aware of. And the person asked me, says, is it real? I go, of course it's real. I've already done six funerals because of it. I've already walked with people through their illnesses and sicknesses because of it. And then they looked at me and says, well, I didn't think it was real. And apologetically, they put on their mask. And I appreciated the repentant attitude. I appreciated the attitude. But it's not a matter of being legalistic. It's a matter of loving God and loving other people. You see, we serve God according to Romans chapter 7, not in the old way of obeying the law, but in the new way of living by the Holy Spirit. So what am I saying? That 212 degrees, when water begins to transform, you begin to be transformed in your discipleship. I begin to be transformed in my discipleship. We as a congregation are transformed in our discipleship and our ministry as a church. When we serve God enthusiastically, when we serve God wholeheartedly, when we're doing what we do because of a love for Jesus and lost people and not just doing it because it's the right thing to do, we do it because we love God. We wear a mask because we love other people and we want to honor God. We do the right thing. Being saved, remember just a few moments ago, I explained to you what it meant to be born again, to have your sins forgiven, and Jesus to come live in your heart. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest life in the world now that i'm saved it means i'm never going to die this body may die you may bury this body one day but don't you ever say that pastor died in defeat because i will live forever in the presence of god and so will you if you've been born again an overwhelming joy an overwhelming victory it means that nothing can separate me from the love of god which is in christ jesus it means that the pandemic it means that whatever happens in this world Whatever takes place will work for my good and your good and the glory of God. Can we give him a hand of praise? <laughs> President Trump, my Vice President Biden, neither one can make any promise like that. Only God can make a promise to you that whatever happens will be for your good and for his glory. You see, serving Christ, serving Christ, and I mean this with all my heart, Serving Christ is the highest privilege of any one in the entire universe. Now think about that for a moment. Serving Christ is the highest privilege. I've had more opportunities and more privileges than any one man deserves. And I say that with such gratitude but the greatest privilege in life began on January the 18th, 1972, when I committed my life to Jesus Christ. That's the greatest privilege that anybody has. And if you've lost that, if your small group has lost that, if your family has lost that, if your marriage has lost that, that it's time to start doing the things that add fuel to the fire. Because fire can either be destructive or fire can be constructive. Passion can either be constructive or it can be destructive. And the reason that I say this to you this morning is... There are fires of hell that are burning across our nation that have created passions of racism and passions of violence and passions of crime in families and homes and marriages and communities. There are fires of hatred burning around the world today, but there is still one fire from heaven, the fire of Pentecost, God who dwells in unapproachable fire that on the day of Pentecost sent the fire of the Holy Spirit upon his church, had suddenly 120 fearful people doing the right thing, locked away, praying together like Jesus had told them to be, were transformed from fearful people who filled the streets of Jerusalem with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the fire of the Holy Spirit does in our life. And it's why this is so important, because God has put us here as salt and light in this world, John Stott, in his book, The Message of the Sermon on the Mount, he wrote some words that are up on the screen that I'd like you just to follow along with me this morning. Christians are set in secular society by God to hinder this process. What? The process of decay, the process of the hatred, the violence. God intends us to penetrate the world. Christian salt has no business to remain snugly in elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. Our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat to stop it going bad. And when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should we rather not reproach ourselves? Let me read that again. When things go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world should we rather not reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. You cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is where's the salt? Every week I hear somebody bemoaning about what bad shape the world is in. Every week somebody wants to tell me somebody used this phrase with me just recently says the world is going to Hell in a handbasket. And I thought about these words of John Stott. Should we be condemning the world? Or should the coldness of the world, as Spencer wrote, cause our hearts to burn like God's, hotter and hotter to share the good news of Jesus Christ? I remember going into the smokehouse as a child. There would be big hams covered in salt. The salt in the humidity of a South Georgia summer would keep those big hams from rotting and decaying. And I got to tell you something. To this day, a piece of fried salty ham is better than a T-bone steak. You can disagree with me if you like, but you're wrong. I tell you... That good red eye gravy on grits, oh, my goodness, that was the perfect breakfast. The point of this matter is, in the humidity of South Georgia, I've seen logs rot. I've seen houses rot. But when the salt was rubbed into it, that meat was fresh. And what our world needs more than anything is a boiling hot church to penetrate the world. See, Pastor, how does that happen? Remember what I said about seeking God? Look with me at the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, and verse 29. God gives power to the weak. God gives strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength, and they will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, They will walk and not faint. You see, what happens is a passionate follower of Christ will gain new strength daily. As you follow Christ, if you seek him with all of your heart, if you seek him, you're going to find him. He will strengthen you. And a passionate follower of Christ will radiate the love of Jesus I know when couples love each other. There's that glow about them. There's that warmth about them. I know when ch- brothers and sisters love each other. That doesn't mean they don't ever disagree. Becky and I did one of our daily prayer update videos this week, and we did this on the the question that someone had, the question I decided to answer this week that I was sent was was dealing with their per, their anger that's going on inside of them. And so I asked Becky the question. I said, Becky, do you ever get angry at me? And she lied on camera and said, No. I said, there will be one sinner saved at Woodland Church this weekend. We had so much fun making that video. Of course we can get angry with one another, but it doesn't mean that we don't know how to resolve the differences. You see, a passionate follower of Christ may fail. But remember the story of the prodigal son. The father is always looking for you. He will clothe you again with the power of the Holy Spirit. He will give you the answers to your prayers. That's the ring upon the son's hands that he put upon there. And finally, a passionate follower of Christ moves with compassion. Because once you've been forgiven of your great debt of sin, how can you ever look down at your nose at somebody that hasn't crossed the line you ever and some of you may feel bound this morning you go well I just don't know what to do look at this passage with me and then I want to pray for you Samson arrived at Lehi and the Philistines came shouting in triumph but the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson and he snapped the ropes on his arm if they were burnt strands of flax they fell from his wrist. Would you stand with me and let me pray for you this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, there are maybe some things, maybe it's fear, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's condemnation. Lord, maybe it's something that someone has done and they just think that you could no longer forgive them. I pray, Holy Spirit. Descend upon them. Snap those bonds. Snap those cords, those cords that have bound them up in their spirit as though they were burnt flags. Some, Lord, may be bound by grief. The pandemic has been hard. They've lost loved ones. They couldn't touch their mom, they couldn't be by their child's side. And their hearts are still so bound with grief. Help them to grieve with hope. Help them to grieve, Lord, not as the world grieves and has no hope. But to grieve, Lord, with the hope that those that are in Christ shall live forever in overwhelming joy. Lord, son, this morning may be bound by some habits. And they've tried in times past to break those habits. Spirit of the Lord, come upon them. How many people have I heard, and I think of the man I talked with this week, how the Spirit of God, when all the medicines and all the psychologists couldn't help him, Lord, the Spirit of God broke those destructive habits in his life and set him free. I'm asking you, fire of the holy spirit let the kettles of our hearts begin to whistle lord let the weights on the pressure cookers lord begin to jiggle oh jesus help us to keep feeding the fire as you send the fire and now lord i pray for those that may have never crossed the line that's you, you're still listening. There's a reason you're listening. You may not even feel any love for God right now, but the Holy Spirit, His heart is so boiling hot towards you. He's looking for you with love and compassion. You say, what do I need to do? There's only one. Come to him and ask you in prayer, forgive me of my sins. But Pastor plan don't I need to do something? It's already been done. Jesus paid the price. Get it? Jesus paid the price. All you've got to do is receive it. So would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm praying for those this morning that want to cross the line and give their hearts to you. God, would you touch them? Would you increase their faith, their boldness to know they can pray this prayer with me this morning? Okay, you ready? Just sit. Just it doesn't doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is that you are sincere. Pray these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for my sins, for paying a debt I could never pay. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to make me brand new. I ask you, Lord, to give me a fresh start. Transform me by the power of your Holy Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God accepts you just like you are. Pastor Corey's gonna come. He's gonna share with you a gift that we'd like to give you to help you get started in your new life with Jesus. Someone from our church just recently gave one of these gifts away to someone else. I love the way they described it. They said it's like an encyclopedia of the Bible. It will help you know more about the decision you just made for Christ. I love you, and if I can help you in any way, all you need to do is email me at office at woodland.church. Pastor Corey.
1: If you prayed that prayer with pastor today, we have this book for you that we'd love to give to you. And if you're watching online right now, just simply uh, write a comment and we can get in touch with you or like Pastor mentioned, just uh, email us at office at woodland.church. It's a great book. It's going to help you in your next steps and continue in your journey of your faith. And so we'd love to give this to you. So please make sure you let us know. And if you're here as well today and you prayed that prayer, just stop by one of our tables and glad to give it to you. Just say, hey, can I have that book? And we will be glad to give it to you. Also, as you're leaving today, don't forget to give. You can drop off your offerings in, in the baskets as you're exiting with the ushers, as well as give online. And for you watching online as well, you can give through our app, our website, even text Woodland Church, that's one word, to the number 77977. God bless you guys. You guys have a wonderful week this week.